When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. We've got a lot of work to do. We need to expand our fan base. We need to expand the revenue base. We do need more fans in the seats. We need more fans watching us on television as well. Uh, More exposure on different platforms, more digital natives coming into our game for the future of the game and the sustainability. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers. The Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Hey, 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 welcome into the Herd Hoop Stats Podcast for another week. I am your host, John Little, as we talk women's basketball here on the Herd Hoop Stats Podcast. Oh my gosh, what a finish in the Aces game against the Chicago Sky. I could not believe that. Dierica Hamby, the sixth player of the year, just picking off that pass and then heaving one from nearly 40 feet out and... She had so much more time to do something with the basketball. That was nuts. Absolutely nuts. And this is why we love the game, because it's so unpredictable. We never know what's going to happen. 20 lead changes in that one, and then that shot goes through. Just unreal. I really hope you enjoyed it. And this is a show that I've been waiting for uh, for a couple months now. Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA, is on the program this week. If I had a an applause machine right now, I would hit it, and it would be uproarious cheers, and everybody would be so happy uh, to have her on the show, including me. Uh, we've uh, something we've been requesting along the way, and then uh, of course we found out that she'd be making that tour to every WNBA city. So I made it a point to corner her 
when she came to the Arlington, Dallas area a couple weeks ago, and she was gracious enough to give us some of her time. But she's been gracious uh, to everybody across the WNBA, uh, wanting to open up to all media types, wanting to open up to the fans, wanting to talk to the players. And I thought that, you know, I just kind of chased her around with a microphone while she was here and caught some of the best moments, and I wanted to bring those to you. And normally, when you are a media member and you get an exclusive interview, you're like, oh, yeah, this is so exclusive. This is the best stuff, and I'm going to bring it to you. Yes, it, you know, I think my one-on-one was, was good. It was all right, but the time there was limited. We only got about six minutes with her in a one-on-one setting. So, yes, I'm going to play that for you, absolutely. And there are some some great answers to be had throughout this podcast. But I wanted to start out with her session that she had with the season ticket holders with the Dallas Wings. And I know she's done that this several other places throughout the WNBA. And everybody was so receptive to her being there and so eager to listen to the commissioner talk about the future of the WNBA. And she's so eloquent, and she just gets it. Uh, She is just a, a brilliant person. If anybody thought that, and I don't think I've really heard this from anybody, but if if anybody thought from the outside looking in that this is just a figurehead they're bringing in or something like that, no, absolutely not. She is 120% on everything, and what she doesn't know, she is learning as rapidly as possible, and she knows plenty to be able to lead this league to the next level. And she sat down with the president and CEO of the Dallas Wings, Greg Bibb, and they did a nice Q&A session in front of the season ticket holders. So I want to start with that. Then I've got some individual one-on-one time with her, and then some time that I had with some other media members to talk about some important topics as well. So without further ado, it is time to hear from the commissioner of the WNBA, Kathy Engelbert, joined by the CEO and president of the Dallas Wings, Greg Bibb. I think question number one, Kathy, that makes the most sense is why the WNBA? So I've been asked that a lot. So after 33 years in business, I was looking for something different, something with a broad women's leadership platform and something I had a passion for. And having played college basketball for Muffet McGraw, having, I'm one of eight children. I have five brothers. I was thrown out in the backyard at an early age playing basketball with a rickety hoop. When, when the snow melted in the Philadelphia area, my brothers would spray paint a foul line um, and we'd, we'd go out there and play. And my father actually was drafted by the Detroit Pistons in 1957. So you would say I have some basketball DNA. So when I was looking for something I have a passion for and heard of this role, Um, And obviously, I've been a fan of the WNBA for a long time. Uh, I was really intrigued with, you know, we have this, um, Greg, this moment in women's sports coming off the success of the U.S. women's national soccer team. We have this momentum around the WNBA because of our elite 144 players playing at the highest level of basketball in the world. And we have this movement around women's empowerment. Uh, And I said, you know, what a great time to take leadership of an organization which is driving women's empowerment through sports. And we all know that women and girls who play sports will have more confidence later in life. So I I just was very intrigued by it and very excited to be in the role. So you come with an extraordinary resume and a lot of success at a very big company. What do you think now, having spent all of a couple of months here, uh, where do you think your strengths align with what we need as a league to grow? 
Right, so I, I actually started in mid-July, as, as the media in LA told me, you're 51 days on the job. And I said, you guys are counting? <laughs> counting how many days I've been in the job? But anyway, so a month, you know, a little over a month and a half now. And, you know, there's, I'm assessing again, this league is really important. Um, we'll have 1.3 million fans sit in our seats this year. Now, people look at attendance year over year, and maybe attendance has ticked a little bit down, but that's because some of our teams move to smaller arenas. And so our percent of capacity is up, our sellouts are up, our, our uh, coverage on when we're on ABC is up, but when it's on ESPN it's too, it's down, because their lead-in programming is down. So there's a lot of traditional metrics that I don't think apply to the WNBA. Um, but, you know, really, as I've crystallized what I want to focus on, I clearly have been brought in to look at the economics of the league. I've clearly been brought in to look at player experience. And then I want to have a, uh, make sure that we're giving our fans the best experience and we're expanding our fan base so we have more fans in the seats. That drives more revenue as well. We can pay the players more, give them a better player experience. So it's all integrated in economics, player experience, and fan experience. So I'm going to get this one out of the way early. Uh, it was on a lot of lists. What can you tell us about the upcoming CBA negotiations? So as many of you know, but for those that don't, we're in active collective bargaining negotiations right now. That's the CBA collective bargaining agreement. Um, we have a players association, a players union, and they opted out of uh, six years into an eight-year agreement. They had an opt-out, and I'm actually kind of glad they opted out last fall because it gives us the opportunity uh, to really refresh a lot of the things I just talked about, to look at the economics of the league, to look at the player experience, uh, and, and factor those into the current negotiation. And one thing I've learned in the short time I've been in this role is after three decades in business where every time I saw a client negotiate a contract or I negotiated a contract, each side did not have the same goals. In this case, in this collective bargaining agreement, we all have the same goals. We want to enhance the brand of our amazing 144 elite players. We want to broaden revenue so we can pay the players more. We want to get more fans in the seats. We want to elevate the coolness factor of the, our players in this league. So we've got to work on our sales and marketing capability. So these are all the issues in the collective bargaining that we're working on with the players. And so when I say that to the players, we all have the same goals here. We're going to work tirelessly on your behalf. I think we have much more productive conversations, and that's where we are today. We're in continued negotiations. The agreement expires uh, in October 31st, but we, I feel very confident we'll have a, an agreement in place before the start of the 2020 season. We've had a lot of talented leaders sit in the chair that you now sit in, um, but I don't think any came to the league with the relationships and the Rolodex that you have. How will you utilize that to help this league advance? Yeah, it's an important question, and I think an important reason why I was hired to come in and drive more national sponsorships. AT&T, actually, this year is our first truly national non-apparel sponsorship. Um, and so thank you to AT&T, if there's any AT&Ters in the audience. Um, and so we need to drive more of those, and that is something I can bring in with the, uh, the I'm blessed to have the relationships I have with whether it's CEOs or chief marketing officers or others in organizations that make decisions around who they sponsor. Just a couple statistics, 4% of all corporate sponsorship sports money goes to women's sports. 5% of all TV coverage of sports 
goes to women's sports. But over 80% of all purchasing decisions are made by women, made or influenced by women. So we have this great platform of our elite, very diverse, high-level, smart, college graduate, WNBA player base to sell corporate, sell and market corporate sponsorships off of. Uh, and so that's one thing that hopefully I will bring to the league is a platform to, to help these corporates see that they're helping change the world. These women have social voices. They speak out on every social issues, very socially conscious and community minded. And I've been so impressed with that, Greg. So that's one thing hopefully that I can bring over is then to turn those into assets that we can convince corporations to sponsor us nationally. And I, and I think the Wings do an amazing job, you and your staff, of selling local sponsorships, but we need national sponsorships to drive this league to the next level. Just prior to your arrival, the league rebranded, most notably and visibly with a new logo. Uh, but really, the foundation of that rebrand was about a retargeting of key audience. And the term most, um, most commonly used is architect of next. How does the architect of next focus, along with diversity and inclusion, kind of tie together to create that runway for this league to ascend to a higher level? Yeah, I mean, one of my main goals as I've come into this role is to take the rebrand and activate it. Again, whether it's among corporate sponsors, you the fans, um, you know, Architect of Next is fancier language that I think rolls off the tongue. So, you know, I would say, you know, we're actually, and I would say to corporates, like, if you want to help change the world, our challenges as a league and for our players, the player pay and experience are your opportunities. So we can really drive a platform, I think, to sell, whether it's a diversity and inclusion platform, whether it's a platform to invest in, again, these elite athletes and, and help you know, closed, you know, gender gaps, pay equity, whatever you want to call it. So those are the things I think we can play off of, but we can also, because of the social conversation and divisiveness in this country now, why isn't the WNBA, and this was my aspiration, a leader on some of these issues, whether it's opioid awareness, whether it's women and girls in STEM, where we don't have enough women and girls entering those fields and succeeding ultimately in the world, um, whether it's some of the tough other social issues that our players speak up on behalf. I think we have to pick five or six of them and say the WNBA is the leading voice on those. And I think that helps bring in sponsors as well who want to actually band with you um, because we all know purpose-driven organizations are who we want to support, and there's no better organization than the WNBA and our players who have that strong social voice. So that, those are the types of things around architect of next. You know, it's also, you know, how do we become part of pop culture? How do we become cool? How do we make sure that we have support of, um, again, a more digital native millennial population to actually support the sport going forward for the next 10 to 20 years. So those are all the things that are involved in Architect of Next. So perfect segue to next question. Um, how important is the league's presence in NBA 2K? Yeah, so I don't know if you know. Now, I have an 18-year-old son that last February I walked into his room and he was playing this very, very you know, real look at the game of basketball through the NBA 2K video game on Xbox. So I, as I'm becoming the WNBA commissioner, I'm like, well, where's the WNBA, you know, equivalent? And lo and behold, just last Thursday night, I think at midnight, 
the NBA 2K20 was launched and you have the ability to draft WNBA players, they're rated. I think just giving exposure for our players to a broader set of young millennials who game. Um, and, I, and I actually hope someday you know, there's, a, there's an NBA 2K League, right, which is gamers with avatars playing the game of basketball online, where the finals this year was, I think, the Minnesota team versus the Philadelphia team, and over half a million people watched it on Twitch. Now, I didn't even know what Twitch was when I came into this role. Um, and so there's other platforms where we can drive and draw new fan bases. And, um, it's really important that we're, again, the WNBA is on top of that and that we think of ourselves, again, as a more tech-savvy league, uh, driving, again, a broader population, certainly of digital natives, into, into the sport. And I think NBA 2K uh, and the WNBA being part of that. And also, I mean, the WNBA also, you know, we're part of the uh, Junior NBA World Championships this year. And I don't know if you watched it. They were based down in Florida. It was a, a week-long event, and there was a skills competition which is the same skills competition we run in our WNBA All-Star Game and that the NBA runs in their All-Star Game and they pitted the girls versus the boys. I think they're 13, 14-year-olds. And guess who won? The girls beat the boys. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about how social and digital is going to help the league even the playing field. That said, you know, traditional media still plays a huge role in terms of awareness and street cred, if you will. We have a great partner, a longtime partner in ESPN that does tremendous things for our leagues in many ways. But yet there's a sense there could be far more. You mentioned the 5% coverage. Certainly ESPN's a big part of the overall media landscape. What are you gonna focus on in terms of growing that relationship and ultimately more awareness for our league through that partner? Yeah, and ESPN has been with the league since the beginning. Um, CBS Sports Network added games this year for the first time, 40 games. We, we stream live on Twitter. We obviously have NBA TV for those that have that as part of cable. But, you know, this is a frustration point for me because um, when, you, when I watch SportsCenter every night, and by the way, it's so great going from watching business shows to watching ESPN. It's the best part of my new world. Um, yeah, I used to worry about debt and deficits and tax policy and trade, and now I watch ESPN. So for anybody from Deloitte out there, it's pretty good. Um, but, um, but it's frustrating that even when I go, I have like Xfinity, and even when I go to the sports menu just to look at all the live sports on, guess what? There's no WNBA category. It's soccer and NHL and MLB and NBA and in NFL, but no WNBA. So I'll be talking to some of those over at Comcast shortly. But same thing with NBC, you know, the lead up to the 2020 Olympics. So they had their one year lead up. Now the, the U.S. national women's basketball team is going for their seventh consecutive gold medal in 2020. Pretty amazing. And you know what their record what their record is in those six gold medals they've won consecutively? 100 wins and one loss. It's a dynasty. And guess what? Nobody's talking about it. So, um, so you know, we'll be having a whole marketing plan around that because they're all WNBA players. So working on things like that. Um, but obviously, we're proud of our relationships with traditional media and with emerging media platforms. But we, we do need to do more. And, 
you know, I have complained that top 10 plays during our, our summer uh, sport because all you really have is MLB and then you can have a little MLS. I said, why isn't the WNBA one of the top 10 plays every day? Because we have a top 10 play every day during our season. So actually, I've seen a little more coverage since I've complained uh, about that of some of the amazing plays in our league. But we, we need to keep pushing. We need to keep asking. We need the media to cover us year round. We need to market our players better year round rather than just in the five month season. So all of that, Greg, is, is going to be a focus in the off season. You mentioned the Olympic team next year is an Olympic year. Uh, obviously, Summer Olympics are smack dab in the middle of our season. The Olympics create a great platform and great opportunity, but also forces the league to shut down for the better part of a month, which creates challenge. Any early thoughts on how you maximize the opportunity around the Olympics and more directly keep the league awareness alive and strong during a 30-day layoff. Yeah, so that is a challenge. There's a lot of positives to all WNBA players playing, but it's only a subset of our 144 players. So um, I do think it's good for some of those other players to rest because you see injuries and your, your team has certainly experienced some of those. So I do think rest is good. Um, you know, next year in the Olympics, there's also a uh, three versus three, a 3v3 or what they call 3x3 Olympic sport for both men and women. Um, so the question is, while we're off, you know, could we run some 3v3 tournaments, get, again, women and girls, not necessarily NBA, WNBA players, but also, you know, do something to keep the conversation, have some of our players do clinics, things like that, while we're off for that month. But nevertheless, we need all the support for our U.S. national team. We know that, you know, we're all very patri patriots at heart, and so we'll be very patriotic and support that team. But in the meantime, keeping the conversation going, as Greg said, will be... Uh, would be great. That's a, a media play, it's a marketing play, and it's a fan play. And we'll see whether we can offer some some women's basketball during that time. But it is a challenge that we do have to shut down for a month to support. The NHL has done it for the Winter Olympic shutdown. They don't like shutting down either. Uh, and they've, they're constructing their games around a shorter period of time uh, as well. But um, so we'll, um, we're working on it, Greg, but I think this is all gonna be around marketing and have the conversation going and seeing if some of our players wanna be involved in that time off, at least in the sport of basketball, whether it's through clinics, 3v3 tournaments and things like that. So let's transition to on the court for a few minutes. You played, you walked on at Lehigh, and you parlayed that into a captain's role uh, under a legendary coach. You went there as a lacrosse player. You showed your, your versatility to play two <laughs> sports at the Division One level. Um, but from your time then playing to what you see now, thoughts on how the game has changed? Wow, so uh, great question. I haven't been asked that question before. It's kind of cool. So I was a 5'9 point guard, and I was the tallest point guard in what's now called the Patriot League. Um, I'd be the shortest today. So these women are big and strong, and my father, having played high-level college basketball, every day used to be like, you need to lift, you need to lift. Back then in the 80s, we never lifted a weight. We started on October 15th and we ended on March 1st. Now they play year round in AAU and tournament teams and that kind of stuff. So um, it's changed a lot. I think the level of play is great. The pure shooting of our players is amazing. Um, you have a couple of those here on the wings. It's just a really a, a great product on the court and agility and, and the physicality, which I know has been you know a source of, of uh, issue. But I think the, the game has become that way because we have a short season and you come off the all-star break, you're over halfway into the season. And guess what? It's not that every game counts, it's every 
quarter counts, every play counts at that point because everybody's fighting for a playoff spot, a home court advantage. We have, an, I think we have a really interesting playoff platform or um, playoff format with single elimination in round one and two. And then we go to a five and five uh, for the semi and the final. So it's everybody's fighting for a spot and then a home court advantage. So in that single elimination game, um, you can come come away victorious. So it's interesting how much I think the game has really become exciting. And I don't know if you watched the All-Star game, but we piloted two ideas in the All-Star game this year. One was to take the shot clock from 24 to 20 seconds. And you wouldn't think backing four seconds off of a shot clock changes the game. But it was fast and it was fun. So I think we need to look at, at that kind of thing. We also piloted, and it was not chaotic like hockey, piloted live substitutions. So you could just throw a substitution. You only got one per quarter, so you got four for the whole game. So it wasn't chaos, but it was pretty interesting as coaches, the strategy around coaching changes and around the game changes when you insert things like that. I think for the WNBA, I mean, we've actually led on a couple of rules changes that the NBA has adopted. For instance, on an offensive rebound, when the shot clock resets only to 14 seconds, not the 24, that, that was the WNBA first and the NBA followed. So there's things that we can do in league because we're a smaller league and can be a little bolder that we'll be looking to do in the future. So you're about to embark on your first uh, playoff season as commissioner of the league. We have a unique and exciting structure there's tremendous upside. Depending on who you are, there could be potential <laughs> downside. Any early thoughts, although not really a fair question when going through it, but any early thoughts yet on the playoff structure? Yeah, I would say I just mentioned this two single elimination. You know, baseball plays a 162-game season, and then they have a single elimination for the wild card playing game. So it's not unusual to have this single elimination, and we play 34 games. So obviously the team that loses in the single elimination first round, I mean, and there's obviously two games this coming Wednesday. Um, and um, so obviously they don't like the format, and the teams that win like the format, and the teams that get a double bye like the format into the semifinals. So I actually think it's an exciting format. I'll observe, you know, I'll be hopefully at as many games as I can get to in the playoffs to observe the format, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk and brainstorm in the off season around whether there's a better format. But, you know, so far I, I just like the excitement of single elimination. It's all on the line. So another topic that uh, I'm required to ask based on the number of questions relative to the topic uh, here today. <laughs> Anyone have a guess what this could be I about? I know what's coming. Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversation and focus on officiating, not just this year, but for a while in our league. But it seems like... It seems like the conversation has been more acute this year. And listen, it is a hard job uh, with world-class athletes who are evolving year over year. But it does seem to have a potential negative uh, effect or at least take a little bit of the shine off of what we have become as a league. What are your thoughts on officiating? Yeah, so obviously in my travels to the 12 markets, this comes up in every market. I think, you know, part of this is what I just talked about with the intensity and the physicality of our game coming off the all-star break when you're over halfway through the season and every play counts. Um, however, we need more consistency in the officiating. A foul is a foul is a foul. Um, 
So obviously it's something being kind of new at the league that we'll be taking a look at and have a fresh look at and have already obviously been meeting with our uh, official, you know, the, the leaders of our officials. Um, we've got to look at our training programs. Um, we've got to, you know, this is something that kind of the league now is, is helping with. Uh, in a big way, you know, in leveraging off the NBA's experience. There are good things about being affiliated with the NBA at the league level, and this is one of those. So, look, as a lifelong fan, having, again, grown up with five brothers and followed sports for a long time, you know, when you win, the officials don't bother you. When you lose, the, it's the officials' fault. I understand that. I've blamed officials. I played for 12 years, competitively 12 years of basketball, and so I do think it seems more acute um, this year um, because the physicality has ratcheted up. And again, when I played, there were no 6'8", 6'9", players. Our average height, I think, is 6'2", and we have, you know, 6 or 7, 6'7", 6'8", 6'9". We have a 6'9", player in the league on the New York Liberty. So, you know, the physicality is at a height, but we, we do need consistency in the officiating, and a foul is a foul is a foul. So that, that's what I'll leave you with is that you know, um, have faith in us that we're gonna we're gonna take a look at it and make sure we have the right officials with the right training and you know. But as Greg said, nobody's perfect. Officials are never perfect in any sport. But you know, we we deserve better in the WNBA and and we'll get there. Kathy Engelbert from her media session in the Dallas market. Did it surprise you how much those fans just jumped onto the officiating thing? I don't know. I, I've never been one that, you know, blames the officials a lot or whatever. Obviously, everybody gets frustrated when their team loses and they're looking for something to blame. But I know it's been a consistent theme throughout the season that there have been several officiating inconsistencies, and the players certainly have talked about it a lot, and that has really cascaded down to the fan base as well. I really, on a personal note, I wish it wasn't the case. I, I just wish you could kind of keep the officials out of it, but evidently everybody thinks it's an issue. So just some great energy between Kathy and Greg in that chat. And then at halftime of the game, I got to kind of pull her aside and ask her some specific questions. Could you have ever envisioned yourself leading a pro sports league like this? Well, given my upbringing in sports, I actually always aspired to someday be in sports. I thought maybe I'd work for ESPN or, you know, be a sports center uh, broadcaster, but um couldn't be happier. This is bringing me back to a lot of my roots with my father having played big time college ball and me having played in college. Um, so it actually, you know, wasn't really on the list after a long corporate career initially, but it made more sense as I got intrigued with what the league stands for, you know, what the players, you know, the, the level of play, you saw it out here, just, you know, it's really great level of, of women's basketball. What were those initial conversations like? What were the questions that you asked to know whether or not it was the right fit? Yeah, I certainly, as I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, I actually, this helped me think about doing something different with a broad women's leadership platform and something I had a passion for. And when I was talking with the league, including Adam Silver, the commissioner, it was, you know, we're looking for a business leader who, you know, has a business background and can transform the league and that has a passion for the game. So if you think about that, it was a great, it was a great fit. So um, and it just became intriguing how, you know, socially conscious and community minded these women are and that I really could build 
you know, help build these women into stars that are recognized more broadly and elevate their brand. And I, you know, when as I was interviewing, they were relaunching the brand, kind of doing the brand refresh. And I said, you know, this is a place where I think given my leadership style and my leadership years in business that I really can make an impact. Do you consider yourself yet a quote unquote leader in this space? Or is that something that I guess as as you position yourself, as you get better and better in your role, then then you consider yourself a leader. Yeah, I think you know leaders are are built over time for sure. And as I have gotten gone on my tour and seen what it takes, I think to be a leader of a major sports league, and quite frankly, the only major women's professional sport league to last over two decades, I think. Um, you know, I think I'm up for the task given my leadership of in my prior world. And I, I think leadership's about, you know, especially as you look at this league, this is about leading, you know, it's only 144 women, but it's a huge brand that I think really makes a difference in so many lives. And I look at the 1.3 million fans that will sit in our seats this year. I look at the the, the girls and boys, but girls that are depending on the, these women as role models. And, and so I'm proud to be leading that. And uh, I think, you know, time tells, you know, how you are as a leader. But I think my style around, I drove a very people-first agenda at my prior role at Deloitte and now driving a very player-first agenda. And I think that leadership and being transparent and authentic with the players and the whole basketball ecosystem, I think is, you know, people – People say you're born a leader, but I think you're, you also develop those leadership skills. And for me, it was developed in my formidable years having played basketball, being the captain of my college team in both basketball and lacrosse. So I think, again, there's, there's a, a growth here for me around sports and the you know intricacies of sports. But what I'm learning, there's a lot more similarities because sports is business. And it is a business, and it's a business that is at a little bit of an impasse right now and trying to push through that with the CBA, with the players. Um, they say that deadlines make deals, and I'm sure that you've been a part of that mm -hmm. in your career for yes. sure. What's the deadline that WNBA fans need to know about uh, to know and get a sense of how things are going in these negotiations? Yeah, we obviously want to get something done as soon as we can. The deadline's obviously before next season because we don't want to lock out or... Um, or not to have, you know, kind of our agreement done. So um, the current agreement expires on October 31st. That's obviously in the offseason. Our playoffs will end in early to mid-October. Uh, but, you know, we'd like to get something done um, after the season breaks, after playoffs, and get something done fairly quickly. We're talking with Kathy Engelbert. You really mentioned and made a point to mention the USA women's basketball team, um, just how dominant they've been, how can the WNBA and how has women's basketball as a whole paid attention to what happened and the galvanization behind the women's soccer team this year and trying to do something similar in taking advantage of uh, these women that are at the top of the game, their game and representing our country? Yeah, I think if you look at um, our U.S. women's national soccer team and the success they had in this World Cup and how they marketed that before, during, and after. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just a after they won. It was right. before, during, and after. And we can learn some lessons for that for our dominant women's national basketball team. And so really right now strategically thinking about how to do that, how to put that marketing plan together and execute it as we get into the winter months next year leading into the the Summer Olympics. And quite frankly, we have this opportunity because they're all going to be WNBA players. Our season will tip off in May. 
The Olympics are in July. We'll take a break. So it's a perfect time to be integrating, quite frankly, our marketing plan around the W and our U.S. National Olympic team for women's basketball. So a little one-on-one time with the commish there. That's what I call her, the commish. We go way way back, me and Kathy, uh, here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. But can you imagine how many individual one-on-one she's done and group media sessions and these uh, sessions with the fans as well? Yet she's so gracious, just time in and time out, and so personable. It's really impressive. And then we got to have a group media session with her as well, where I got to ask a couple specific questions. And one of the questions that I had was, you know, we've talked to and heard from her a lot about the positive experiences she's had on the road uh, during this 12-city tour and the great things that have happened. I just wanted to hear about the stressful point. What What's the most stressful thing so far about being a young commissioner of the WNBA. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, the the pillars of player experience, fan experience, and, and economics, I mean, we need to drive an economic model that expands the revenue base. And this is a multi-dimensional transformation. This is sales and marketing capability. This is corporate sponsorships, the right platform, um, marketing the players, the brand, the players from a socially conscious and, and community-minded way. Uh, so it is multidimensional. So from that perspective, that's it's going to be hard work, and we need to do that pretty quickly. And we've got this huge, you know, as I said, m- moment, momentum, and movement to do it in in this time. And so I'm I'm actually really pleased with that. But it's it's going to it's a transformation, and uh, I look forward to uh, working with the players. And if we can uh, get the CBA done over the next few months, um, and really focus on, you know, driving their brand higher broadening the revenue base I think you know we're all going to benefit and we again as I mentioned we all have the same goals so this is not easy um, I, I think that my tour has been great for me to really engage with the women's basketball ecosystem you know whether it's the owners the staff the players the the media the fans um, really interest, interesting observations coming out of that that you know every team you know we need to all benefit from um, the best practices and what's working and what's not working, meeting with players as well. You know, di- different players have different views on what's working and what's not working. And when you have 144 of them um, and 12 teams and 12 different ownership groups, um, you know, it's, it's something where that was the reason I wanted to get out to all 12 markets before, um, before the end of the season. Commissioner Kathy Engelbert, you know, one thing that's been tamped down a lot even by the commissioner, even before she officially took took over the job, is the whole idea of expanding from 12 teams to 16 or something beyond the 12 teams. But an expansion question did get brought up, and I'll play you that answer. And then I had a follow-up to that as well. As you think about expansion, the first my first job is to our twelve existing franchises, and really to transform, really to transform those uh, our our league and our franchises, to, so that we can have a long term sustainable revenue based, long term sustainable thriving league. That's number one to twelve. Down the road, would there be some expansion discussions? Certainly, if you're trying to grow the revenue base and grow the league. Um, you would do that. And I think our league is one where even if you're a first-round draft pick, you're not assured to even make a team. And so we've got this incredible uh, product on the court. Uh, And so, you know, certainly down the road, expansion's on the list. But right now, my number one focus uh, is to transform the league and our teams into a thriving, profitable business. Still at the same time, do you feel any obligation to get things right for the 12 teams that are here 
in order to set things up for some of these fan bases and probably potentially huge fan bases that really do want a team. Yeah, absolutely. We have got to make sure that we're focused on transforming the league and our 12 teams. Um, you know, what's interesting is we have, you know, 12 different cities and, you know, we're not one of these 30 city markets. So if you're trying to expand the conversation around the WNBA and our elite players and tell their stories, but really your fan base is only in 12 cities in this country, big country, that's probably not enough. But we absolutely need to focus on our 12 cities, our 12 franchises. Um, and, you know, that's part of what my tour was all about. So this is my 12th city in, in just a couple of weeks. Um, and, um, no, it's been great to, you know, I wanted to, you know, really take in the whole fan experience, player experience, um, media, uh, talk with all the, what I call the ecosystem around women's basketball and make sure that I got all the information I could get as we go back coming into the playoffs and the momentum going into the off season, the momentum around the Olympics next year, as well as, um, you know, really looking at our 2020 season in a way where we can start transforming. There was also a question from the back of the room that I didn't get on the microphone about the best things that translate from her time at Deloitte, 33 years, to being the head of the WNBA. Yeah, I think the best thing I can bring from my Deloitte world is sports is business. So everyone thinks it's so different. Like Kathy's going to become the commissioner of the WNBA from being the CEO of Deloitte, but sports is business. And business is about relationships. And so if we want to broaden a fan base or broaden a, a base of revenue, we need to find more corporate sponsors at the national level, at the local levels. That's about relationships. So using my relationships, and one of the reasons I think I was hired not only for my finance and economic background to transform the league from a fin financial perspective, but also is to draw on the many relationships over decades in business and to drive the brand of the WNBA up and to attract corporate sponsors to the assets that this league can offer. Uh, and they're enormous. And I, you know, I think marketing off of that and marketing the stories of 144 players, they all have amazing stories you saw at the All-Star Game. You know, just Erica Wheeler, one player, undrafted, Rutgers University. Uh, mother died when she was a sophomore there and the emotion around being an undrafted player and winning the MVP of the All-Star Game. So it's it's, you know, really, and, and quite frankly, um, you know, marketing capability. So one of the things I think I can bring from Deloitte is we were a marketing machine and, and really determining how the best ways to drive a coolness factor into marketing and digital marketing as well uh, in the W is something hopefully I'll bring from my, uh, my old life. You talked about uh, working with millennials and, uh, at Deloitte. Um, how can you get uh, from th that experience, bring that to the WNBA and connect with them um, to actually help grow the league as well? Yeah, I think you have to get them as fans first um, before, like, even putting me in front of them. But, you know, that's why I would love to drive a, a digital marketing plan to drive them in, whether it's on the platforms they use every day so they become aware. This is an awareness and a coolness factor. Um, and I think a coolness factor will drive. And, and again, these women from a fashion, that's why when we did the rebrand right before I started, um, that rebrand was to drive a more coolness factor amongst a broader set of potential fan bases, including that digital native millennial population. I'm, I even laugh now. I'm looking at the younger millennials and the digital natives now uh, rather than the older millennials who are in their mid, mid to late 30s now. To, again, if you want to set up the league for success, if you want to grow uh, for the future, you have to attract that fan base today or start attracting them. And so that's one of the, uh, why I'm so focused on it. And I think that is around giving them a tech set 
savvy experience to integrate it with the platforms they use today. Um, we're on Twitter. We, we live stream games on Twitter as well. We're on CBS Network. We're on regional sports networks, which are highly successful for the loyalty, loyal fan base. But to get more national exposure, to bring fans the awareness level, to get them in our seats and get them to be season ticket holders and, and broaden that is, is really important as well. You mentioned the digital natives. How do you guys plan on making that more accessible and appealing to those? It's a great question. So digital native. So having worked at Deloitte before I came into this role and having had 100,000 people essentially be in charge of and 75% millennial and a growing digital native population, digital natives I was born in 1997 or beyond and having two digital natives at home, my two kids, um, you know, I, I think in order to attract them, one of the great things that happened, you know, come just last week was the NBA 2K20 was launched for the first time with WNBA players. So as I in February learned what that game even was because I walked in my son's room and he was playing NBA 2K. I said, what a great way to expand uh, at least the awareness that there are WNBA players and you can draft them into a, uh, into the 2K game and maybe that leads to a 2K league and other digital means. But I think when I talk about my three pillars, player experience, fan experience, as well as uh, you know expanding the revenue-based economics, the fan experience is around driving maybe in arena a more digital experience. We can be bolder, I think, with the W with our shorter number of home games to really drive an arena experience that maybe is tech savvy and that draws in the digital native. So lots of ideas that we're thinking about right now and could pilot for the 2020 season. As you think about whether it's the fan experience when they come in and they scan, you know, an electronic ticket, which obviously a lot of teams have already, or I think there's a future in, um, you know, you watch these digital natives and they're all on their phones during the game, back and forth watching the game, giving them experience to integrate their smartphone device with the game, whether it's around analytics and statistics and things that would pop up around the probability of a play being made after a three-pointer for that team using a a core base of analytics. I'm a big fan in my prior world of data and analytics, and you see it in some sports driving different ways of playing, and our game is evolving. So a lot of things we can think about um, that even maybe are more substantive around the fans when they leave the arena um, saying, wow, that was pretty cool because I integrated the experience with Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter or whatever their platform of choice is. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of opportunity, and there's an opportunity for the WNBA to lead on this. Um, but I think, you know, that's why I'm excited to be in the role now and to drive a transformation that is tech savvy as well, because I think that's the way to bring digital natives to What's your the, question. What has surprised you the most during your tour? What has surprised you the most? Yeah, interesting question about what surprised me the most. Um, you know, there's been actually a lot of positive surprises. Um, you know, again, the arena and fan experience that I've experienced in all 12 markets and I'll experience today, uh, I'm sure. Um, the, um, the level of play, the intensity of the play. I mean, especially when you have a short season like we have only 34 games and, and you have single elimination playoffs and the fight for that home, home court advantage and um, really just the, it uh, the fan. I mean, I've met with fan groups in each market and that's kind of been a fun part for me. Uh, because as a lifelong fan of the sport and having basketball in my DNA since my father played for Jack Ramsey back in the 50s and was drafted by the Pistons in 1957 into, you know, me playing at Lehigh for Muffet McGraw. I mean, you know, the fans are so passionate about, we'll have, you know, over 1.3 million fans sit in our seats this year. 
and the impact that these women, elite women athletes, are having on young girls and boys. And, how, and the other big surprise to the positive is how socially minded, uh, socially conscious and community minded our players are. Very, very impressed with that. And I said, that's something you don't find in other professional sports. The injuries um, that a lot of players have suffered playing overseas and what will you do about that? Yeah, so the question was about injuries. Um, obviously, we don't like when any of our players get injured, whether they get injured here in the United States or playing overseas. You know, for some of our players, they need to get better in the offseason because we're such an elite league and there's only five players on the court and they don't get a lot of playing time. For other players, clearly, they don't need to go. And, you know, unfortunately, they get hurt. They could get hurt here, too. So um, I do think, you know, as you look at even, I mean, look at my career. I played basketball for 12, 16, almost 16 years, I'll say. And, you know, I don't remember anyone ever having an ACL or an Achilles or, you know, we had sprained ankles and, you know, broken pinkies and thumbs and things like that you would get playing basketball and lacrosse. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, this year round from the time they're in middle school or even predates middle school is something I think I would like to, as the commissioner of the WNBA, be a convener with USA Basketball and other constituents, FIBA, to determine what the right model is for these girls playing sports. Because it's not just basketball, it happens in soccer, happens in every other sport too. It happens on the men's side, as you saw at the NBA level this year with Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and obviously others. So, you know, there is something that we need to look at the data to determine, you know, these injuries. And it does seem like this year there's more than our fair share in our league. But, you know, I'm a lifelong sports fan and grew up with one of eight kids and, you know, played three sports through high school, two in college. And so, you know, I, I, injuries is part of the game. But, you know, we need to determine what the right model is, and, you know, for the body. Um, because, again, I look back at my, my days where our NCAA didn't start to October 15th. And we didn't play. I mean, we wanted to play in a summer league, uh, optional, but we didn't play year-round. And we didn't, there was no AAU. If there was, it was for the elite, not for you know players like me. <laughs> so I, I do think we need to look at the data. There's Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA, here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. And I appreciate her talking to me individually. But more than that, I appreciate just the thoughtfulness with which she answers each and every question Uh, And she's offering a lot early in her tenure as the commissioner of the WNBA. So I look forward to seeing what she has down the line. And let's get some more of these uh, games like we had between the Aces and the Sky as the playoffs roll on, getting right back on it on Tuesday. And by the way, uh, not to be lost in all this, the decision to charter the players from the West Coast out east for game one of the semifinals. Very, very good decision by the WNBA, and we'll see if that means more competitiveness come Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Her Hoops Dads podcast. I enjoy bringing it to you and always love your feedback. So just email us at podcast at herhoopstats.com. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, of course, and we always look forward to seeing those reviews. Whatever you have to say about the podcast, we appreciate it. The executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Aaron Bar. A lot. Our announcer is Susie Solis and our music by Jared Deck. JaredDeckMusic.com. I'm John Little. At the Her Hoop Stats Podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. 
Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.